0: Welcome into another edition of the Canes Inside Podcast brought to you by Canesware. I'm your host, Peter Ariz, alongside D Money. D, last week, Canes obviously uh took their last loss of the season, unfortunately, no bowl game. So canes finish off the year five and seven. Another brutal loss uh, to to Pitt. You know, I think a lot of the Canes fans we're, we're kind of looking at yeah, it was a it was a really bad season, but let's look forward, right? And there's a lot of positive, and it's hard to see it right now, right? And we'll get into that. But before we kind of look into the future, right? And it's going to be it's going to be a very quick moving month to month, you know, two months it, a lot of this stuff's going to be done by then, but sign but the normal signing day is still in February. So there's going to be a lot of movement up until that point and even after, right? So before we get into that, what went wrong this year in terms of the expectations that not only Canes fans in general, but we came on this podcast before the year, you know, and let's not say this is, was a, a team that was filled with NFL talent up and down the roster, right? But um, you would you would expect that there was enough talent in some of the important, you know, positions, right? And, and there was enough exciting young talent that with the new coaching staff and the and the excitement and everything, that the results would, would have been better than they were this year. So in your view of it, because you obviously um, see things from different angles inside and outside the program, what was the biggest issue this year?
1: Well, first of all, this to me was the worst season ever. My life and probably anybody's life, both because – the expectations, the money spent. I used the line. Um, I made a couple of posts about this. You know, one was called "What Happened," what uh, went wrong. The other one was called "What's Next." But on the "What Went Wrong," you know, we paid Alabama money for FIU results. So in context, this was the worst season ever. But even out of context, five and seven, you lose five straight at home. You're getting blown out by sorry teams. Uh, really did not play well in any game except for. Maybe the Georgia Tech game with your third-string quarterback, that's it. Because Southern Miss, you played a horrible half. You had five straight home losses. Texas A&M, boring, nothing to write home about. Um, Virginia, you didn't score at all, barely, the whole game. One of the most boring games ever played. Virginia Tech, same thing. So, really, there was no game where you could get excited about and i thrive on excitement you know you can give me just a little bit and i'm gonna hype it to the moon but they gave us nothing so that's just on the top now what went wrong why did that happen um you know i would say the first thing that went wrong really was the offense i mean why are we gonna you know get too too slick with it uh the offense was the worst offense in Kane's history 31 points per game goes down to 19 points per game which is unheard of in this day and age when you have a veteran quarterback and people say, oh, he got hurt, but he looked just as bad before he got hurt. Offensive line, same thing, You had injuries, but even when their guys were healthy, it was not a very good offensive line, despite being a veteran unit that played better last year. Second half of the year last year, there was no pressure on TVD. There was great protection and he was dealing. So take those same guys, of a year of experience, and now,
0: you know, they can't block at all. Well, and... and you look at even a guy like 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 Rooster, right? We know how much talent he has. He showed it, right? And you're looking for that consistency, but it's like you guys almost like lost their powers, right? So it was across the board. Yeah, and look at how did
1: Rooster score his touchdowns last year? You know, catching it in space, making a couple guys miss, breaking a tackle, North Carolina, Florida State. Did you see anything like that this year, as far as putting him in that position, Mallory? Had a very, very good year. Mallory was awesome this year, uh, you know, as far as improvement and having a good year. But how many wide open plays did he have last year, you know, where he was just butt naked, wide open? That aspect was gone. Um, Just the easy play. Now, the easy plays, you saw them because they were moving so fast, the defense didn't have time to react. Some of them were trick plays that Lashley would cook up. It seemed like he had two a game. Mm -hmm. We didn't see any of that this year. Obviously, that pace was not there, so you didn't have those type of easy plays, layups. And you didn't have the, the, the one or two trick plays that Lashley would pull out. Just, everything was hard. Everything was contested. You, I think back to that Virginia game, you had three receivers kind of congregating in the middle of the field every time they went to the All-22. Uh, you know, they couldn't get separation from the receivers or from the defensive backs. Everything was just hard on offense. And yes, there were injuries on offense. Yes, there were personnel issues on offense. There were personnel issues on last year's offense, and they still scored 31 points a game. So there's really no excuse for what we saw on offense. So there's a lot that went wrong, but that's the number one tone-setting problem with this team is the terrible, terrible offensive performance.
0: Well, and I I said it multiple times all year, too. It's like you were looking for that shining light, right, that you could at least say, well, you know, who knows who the coaches are going to be next season, but we have these guys to really, you know, write home about, and we have a good foundation there. I still think there are some pieces there, right? I don't want to just completely, um, you know, be be down on, on, on everyone in there. I, I still believe there are pieces in there, but it's going to take a lot to... Uh, kind of rub some of the dirt off of off of some of the guys in there in a, in a sense. Yeah, you got to rebuild guys. Right.
1: TVD was the most confident player in the ACC coming into watching
0: the season. his watching his highlights before the season from last year. It's like man, the throws this guy is making. So again, it's not like the talent uh, he, he lost it overnight, right? So it's 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 just like it was a consistent theme with. Multiple guys, so that's where it's like this is this is where the Canes fans are excited. I think, in a sense, you know, obviously still disappointed and gonna be down on the year for a while. But okay, let's move forward and see what the what the moves are gonna be.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot to be done, a lot a lot of work to see. Like Christopher goes on the on the interviews every week and says, "There's a lot of work to do." There is a lot of work to do. First, you know, you talk about confidence. More, I'd add morale to that. This team works extremely hard. You know it from having players that you represent that are on the team. I mean, would you agree that this team under Cristobal works
0: un- unusually hard? Definitely. And I think that was a that which we talked about month ago, maybe month plus, how, how it was probably grinding them down to a certain extent, right? And, listen, that that's that's Mario's style, right? And, and that's part of his plan and toughening the culture up and weeding guys out, which we're already seeing and it's going to continue to happen. Um, but that probably didn't help the results on the field this year. Maybe a net positive in the long run, but short term, I don't think a lot of guys were ready for that. Yeah, and people are going to hear that be like, wait a minute, it's football. This
1: should be hard. It should be hard. But the problem is,
0: when you have an extremely hard, uh, I heard this from people who were who were going into practice too, who are from the, you know, in the league, saying, "Man, these are these are pretty brutal practices at this point of the season, right?" So, again, this is his style, right? And and he's not the only coach in the pro in in the country who who coaches that way, right? But that was part of his plan, I believe right to toughen the guys up and find the guys that were going to be built for it you know two three years down the road and just weed out the ones who weren't who weren't who weren't made for it
1: and maybe that'll be the positive that we take but the team was not physical on the field this year so that didn't translate the injuries were unusual that was something that happened in oregon a lot. And, you know, we, we were excited about the physicality because it was different. We thought we were going to see a more physical team. But when you see a less physical team or an equally soft team that's more injured, you know, that's a problem. But really, when I say it was hard, and that being a, a bad thing, the reason is you're running this extremely demanding program, which is good, which is what everybody wants. That's what Alabama does. I mean, that's how you win. But then these, guys, these players are saying, wait a minute, I was here last year. I know this offensive coordinator, is not getting the job done because last year I was running wide open and now I got some guy on my back. I didn't get less talented overnight. I know the credibility
0: there there's lapses of it there. That's the exact word. A lack of
1: credibility combined with an extremely intense program. That's how you get discontent. And I think this was a, a team that was not very happy. Coaching staff wise, same thing. These coaches are run down to the bone in terms of recruiting. It's a very, they get paid a lot, but very, very demanding style and when things aren't working, that intense program just makes people angry. And, I mean, you could see it. If you went to any game— Pressure bust pipes? Yeah, but people were just miserable, man. People mm. did not look happy. Look on the sideline anytime. I think it was the—the the Georgia Tech game was the first time I saw smiles. Really, the only time I saw smiles the whole season. You know, Strong was laughing about something um, after a turnover. You know, the pick six from mm. Cam Kitchens. That was, like, the only happy moment of the entire season I could think of. I mean, really, if you put a highlight reel together this season— What's going on in the highlight reel? You know, like what's yeah. the memorable moment? You're like, wow, you know, even the bad seasons, you could think of a couple things that happened. Last year, I could think of a few things that were exciting and, and fun. I mean, it
0: was it was a it was tough football to watch. It was not visually pleasing, right? Um, because look, we're ta- we're talking a lot about the offense, but the defensive breakdowns and communication, the the missed tackling. Right, and then you'd see these games where up front they were really strong, and then you'd see other games where they, you know, it was, it was not the same unit. So, you know, the offense definitely uh, gets you know an F this season, but it's not like the the defense gets a an A grade here either.
1: No, I mean you talk about an F, a hundred and I want to say a hundred fourteenth in the hundred and tens as far as pass efficiency defense, meaning. Yards per pass attempt. Every time they threw the ball, you add up that total yards. It takes into account completion percentage, how long those throws are, etc. That's uh, talking to coaches and defensive coaches at the, at the FBS level. They say that's a stat we look at for pass defense. was in the 110s in that particular stat.
0: You guys been talking to Lance Rofers before the show, man.
1: Oh, no. He's on some other stuff. He's got some, he's got some stats I never even heard of. But that's pretty basic, right? Yeah. It's, it's how many times you throw. How many yards you get total you divide it. you know, it's an easy stat, but very telling because it measures explosiveness. It measures, you know, if you're not completing a lot of passes, it'll go down. It, it takes everything into account, right? 110s with guys that are going to play in the league. Tyreek Stevenson. I mean, he's going to play in the NFL. Camp Kitchens is an all America. You know, these other guys are four stars that have played a lot of football. So then you, you put that defensive backfield together on paper. It should work. Then you add a front seven or a front seven, really a front four that is top 10 in the nation in sacks. So those two things suggest you're going to have a good pass defense. And it was one of the worst pass defenses in the country. That, to me, on the defensive side of the ball, that's the story. And it's, it's about communication. It's about all those long plays that we saw that added up. And that's why Miami ranks so low. When you had Coach Banda, Coach Ruff, Manny Diaz, those three together on the same page, didn't have the resumes of a steal, of an adai, you know, they didn't have that sort of resume. Banda, that everybody called him a waiter. You know, Rumpf was getting killed every day on the board. They were ranking top 10, top 25 in pass efficiency defense every year. All right. So, you know, what changed? It wasn't the front four because they had the front four. But it was the communication, the being on the same page, um, you know, tackling another thing that was better under those defensive back coaches than we saw this year. Adai had a great defensive backfield at West Virginia and Georgia. It's not like he forgot how to coach. Kevin Steele's had a ton of great defenses, including his last one at Auburn. So it's not just, it's not the people not knowing how to coach. It's the putting it together that was missing. And it showed in the stat line glaringly. And if you ask me the story of the defense, that's where I would start.
0: So, you know, looking forward, obviously we can't pinpoint one fix, right? This isn't just going to be hey need a new offensive coordinator need some new position coaches and it's not just going to be let's go grab some guys in the portal and finish with the top 5 class it's you know what you just said right there is is meshing everything together putting it together in this era of the portal and um you know how easy it is for guys to move right what steps do you think mario is going to take to ensure that it's not just hey, I'm gonna go grab these, you know, as many five star guys as I can go get, but making sure it's the right person for the locker room here. Which again, it's very, it's it's tough to know until they get here, right? We, how many guys over the years have have you and I been wrong about that are great kids, great talents, and it just doesn't pan out for them, right? But how is he going to separate himself in that aspect because? I think that's one of the things that probably separates him from most in terms of program building.
1: Yeah, he is interesting. I like to look at his words because he's a pretty straight shooter. I mean, every coach is going to be coach speak, but if you listen to him, you can kind of see things that are consistent and, and reveal a lot about what he wants and what, what he sees. When it comes to recruiting, he's always talking about recruiting rankings like no other coach right. I've ever seen. He like brags about them. And I think some of that translates to what he did in his coaching search. You know, he was getting the five-star coaches, right? He wasn't thinking about how they're going to work together, how they're going to fit. He wanted the five-star coaches. You know, Coach Banda and Coach Rump, that's not a, those are two-star coaches from a resume standpoint. But put them in Manny's defense, put everybody on the same page, and you have incredible production from your defensive backfield. It was the opposite this year. You had a five-star coach and a die. Five star coach and steal and it didn't work. So I think he's gonna focus on cohesion. I would like to see him focus on younger coaches, guys that maybe got fired, that are maybe a little older, but like a you know, th- I have no info on this, but like a Dan Mullen who maybe has something to prove, guys that have something to prove or that Mike are young, said,
0: like which is the Saban approach. Which
1: is yeah, and the, yeah, Saban's got a lot of coaches that you never heard of that end up being. You know, great stars like a Crystal Ball after he got fired from FIU. You know, Napier came from there. I mean, guys that you know you don't hear about them, know as much about them until they come out of that program. Um, And also reclamation projects. Those guys are hungry. You could drive a hard line with them on recruiting. You could really push them, and they're not going to complain as much as somebody who's got a lot of scalps on the wall and has already been tremendously successful. So, you know, that is what. I like that's what I like to see from a coaching staff going forward. Offensively, certainly cohesion. Offense is all about coordination and the different parts working together. To have offensive coaches, you have a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator who don't know each other at all, have totally different philosophies. That's kind of doomed from the start. So, get those two positions on the same page, quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, maybe the same person. You know, just more cohesion there uh, on both sides of the ball. And less uh, star power, I would say, is uh is extremely important as far as building the
0: staff because he went with the all star approach and it it, it
1: failed uh, miserably.
0: One thing I I think that he'll do differently this year is he'll be way more aggressive in the portal early. Um, I think that they were a little picky at times last year. Um, I not not to mention any names, but I I I know that there were certain guys interested, right? That I don't know if they were fully all in on and i know that they went on and had you know pretty successful um you know seasons this year where they where they ended up so and guys that they flirted with and had on campus too i'm not saying that that they didn't uh you know they weren't on it right but he was and i'm just not just going to say mario but the staff in general was very selective i think they got to go get the right guys right but It's going to happen quick and it's going to happen now. I I think they were expecting a spring entry of of guys last year, which again, it's an ever changing game, right? Watch this year be the year that there's a a ton of studs that enter in the spring, right? But they're doing their research right now, right? They've been doing it. and that's just going to be a big part of what happens moving forward
1: yeah and you're speaking just so people know you're speaking from experience right you were involved in these situations yeah. and, and you saw that and you know what you said the spring wave I know that for a fact I heard it directly that they were expecting a spring wave it never came they're learning this is a new thing for everybody so you take your lessons but you saw
0: how successful USC was right and you know obviously Lincoln Riley's a different type of coach in general than Mario, right? Because he, his system is going to travel with him wherever. And, and he's going to be able to make something happen pretty much with anybody. But with what he was able to do there, I think that is the model um, of, for what Mario has to look at moving forward.
1: Yeah. And that, he was getting premium guys from yeah. the portal, which we know Mario- which Miami can do. Oh, we, they
0: have the ability to do it very easily. And let me tell you something. Guys, look at Miami as as a top USC is definitely up there. But I'm am t- telling you, just the perception from players in college football, Miami is right away the school that if they're gonna put their name in the portal and they're a premier guy, that they're Bama obviously too, because you know right. if you're a top guy, you're looking at Bama. But Miami's right up there in the top two or three.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it's it's the aggression that you're that the Miami showing which maybe didn't happen right away example wide receiver we know that late in the process they were getting very aggressive at wide receiver and it was probably too little too late Juice Wells who went to South Carolina from James Madison he's unbelievable player had a great year in the SEC I saw him against Clemson. If you watch South Carolina upset Clemson, he's the guy that had that last play to seal the game, broke a tackle, just kind of the, the, the heart and the, and the run after the catch. We haven't seen from many of our receivers this year consistently. This guy was doing it, and again, a stud player for South Carolina. Miami was in there with them, but they weren't on them like they were on guys later. But if they were, you could have seen someone like that come in. All right, Tyler Steen, starting left tackle for, for
0: Alabama. Why was he not treated like a king? You know, I I, I don't know how interested Miami was in him. And that's a guy who's going to be a, you know, a top 50 to 75 pick in this draft coming up. So he's a starting left tackle for the Alabama Crimson Tide.
1: And, you know, look
0: at our offensive line and the problems we
1: had at tackle. Uh, Guys out of position trying to make that work. We had Michael McLaughlin at the end of the year, really not ready to play at all just because we were so beat down. So uh, those are lessons learned that I mentioned. Look at Morrow's quotes. Morrow said... I wish we took more guys from the portal. He said that flat out in an interview. So he knows it. Another thing he said, getting back to sort of the systems and the uh, scheme stuff, because I know, you know, every question we gets about Gaddis and everything, I don't think he's back, whatever. I'm on the record there. If you listen to his interview with uh, Sagaki and Bailey from this week, after the Pittsburgh game, he said, it's all about evaluating what doesn't work. You have to do that every year. And he said, quote, and he said this like three times during the course of the interview we have systems that maybe worked great at other places that didn't work great here. And we have to understand why they didn't work and try to evaluate that. I mean, what do you think he's talking about? I can't imagine <laughs> he's not there's talking, like not about, much
0: reading between the lines. I mean, so. Yeah.
1: What could he be talking about? So, um, I think Morrow's less stubborn than maybe people think. Now that doesn't mean that the office of coordinator picks is going to make everybody happy. Hmm. You know, I could see him going with a, with a guy like Arroyo. Marcus Arroyo, his office of coordinator at Oregon. It wouldn't be my choice. I'd say that right off. And I don't have any info that he would be after Arroyo. That's not based on any information. But just being logical, they had really high-scoring offenses with Arroyo while he was there. He just got fired as a head coach. Maybe he says, all right, I don't want to recreate what I had when I won the Rose Bowl. Of course, he had Justin Herbert there, who some people thought underperformed. Yeah. So that's the whole story. But the numbers were great with Arroyo. So, you know. I'm not saying the choice to make people happy, but running it back and saying we need better players, and that's it. That is just not how the staff's looking at it. Based on every conversation I've had, and based on what Baro said himself.
0: From a recruiting uh, perspective, I know we'll, you know you're going to have your your the bank segment coming up, so we'll get into more details about specifics. But approach-wise, I mean, do you see any any differences in what they're doing or? You know, is it just going to be big game hunting for the most part?
1: That's what he does. It's going to be big game hunting, I think, uh, approach-wise. No, I think, you know, that's one thing. More offensive
0: linemen, as many as they can get.
1: Well, look, you say what worked and what didn't work, right? Pretty much everything didn't work. I'll tell you what did work. The guys that Cristobal brought in looked the part. Inez Cooper looked like those Oregon guys. The best offensive line in of the country. And as Cooper would have fit right in there, you know, with development. Jaleel Skinner has his ups and downs, but, th- you know, you watch him run around. That looks like how it's supposed to look. There's a reason why we stole him from Bama. Uh, Nigel Lee Kelly, Wesley Basainth. You know, these guys look different. Colby Young, who was a Crystal Ball signee, they looked different. You know, Matt McCoy, who didn't even play because he was banged up, they wanted to play him. Mm-hmm. But I was standing on the sideline. Yeah, I was right behind the sideline for this last game different season I usually sit, but like right there, and you, you know, look at some of these guys. McCoy is huge. Bigger than I remember from camp. Um, so the body types have changed. And the early returns are good. Even in Jakari, he had some ups and downs throwing the ball in an offense that was really destined to fail. But you saw the size. You saw the twitch. You saw the toughness from him. So I think body type wise, he's going to continue. Big game hunting in general, but also just size, size, size. The guys that are lower ranked in the class, your guys like a Tommy Kinsler, um, Frankie Tinalao, uh, you know,
0: well, those guys are getting some, you know, some buzz now.
1: Oh, yeah. The, the ranking doesn't reflect what coaches think about them because they're getting big right. offers. But what I mean is this, the lower-ranked guys are giant. Right. So, you know, it's all about size with ball and, and body types, length, and athleticism um, across the board. And I think that will continue because the guys that played looked the part and mostly played the part as far as the signees. It's December. Mara Cristobal is out there recruiting, trying to put some presents under the Canes fans' trees. But if you want to really make Canes fans happy on Christmas, Caneswear and caneswear.com. They got everything you want in terms of apparel, hats, jerseys. They even have Christmas ornaments. Want to decorate your tree this weekend? Head down to Caneswear or order online at caneswear.com. You get your stuff. Make a, the tree looking great. Canes, colors, all different kinds of things. Miami Dolphins gear. You want to support a winning program uh, for the season. They got all those kind of jerseys. You're talking about hats. Um, just unique items, you know, pictures Uh, I got a really cool picture of the Orange Bowl there. Just different kind of things that you can get at Caneswear. It's really a a heaven for a South Florida sports fan. Inner Miami, if you're into the soccer, catching the soccer bug with the World Cup, they got that gear. Um, You'll end up spending a lot, but you'll get a lot because the prices are very affordable and uh, you're just going to want to keep adding on because you're going to see stuff that you're not seeing anywhere else. Caneswear and caneswear.com the best in the business for South Florida sports.
0: All right, D, we have some questions here uh, from the site and from social media as usual. First one here from Tad Football. Gun to head, create your best possible staff from any coaches that have been here from the Randy Shannon era up to and including Mario's current tenure. Yes, I'm sick in the head.
1: (laughs) I love this question from Tad. Um, I would start and, and Pete, you know, jump in here when you're. Yeah. We, we, I would say quarterback and officer coordinator. I like Jed Fish there. What do you think?
0: Yeah, um, with uh, an assistant QB coach uh, and recruiting coordinator of James Coley.
1: There you go. You had to get you had to get some Cubans on there.
0: <laughs> We've had enough
1: Cubans. We need one on there that actually we like. Uh, so, running back coach, I'll probably say Tommy Robinson. The guy went. Oh, actually, you know what? Scratch that. Thomas Brown, who might be a future head coach. Uh, I would say Thomas Brown. Yeah. What do you think about
0: that? Right? Yeah, that yeah he's he's ascending quickly in the coaching world in the NFL world, and uh, you know people within the league speak very highly of him. He's going to be a head coach, uh, pr- probably in this next cycle. Well, I the Rams are having a tough year, so so maybe not this next cycle, but he, you know he'll be up soon.
1: Uh, Todd Hartley at tight end. You know what he's done at Georgia, what he did here. I mean, just stud after stud after stud. It's got to be him, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, wide receiver i like i like george mcdonald uh i like him as a technician like what he did recruiting uh helped us get braxton and some other guys I, I think he's uh he was a good technician
0: yeah off the top of my head he's he's probably the guy he, he people forget about him I, f- I feel like um but he he's gone on and done some good things at nc state and syracuse as well i think too
1: yeah uh offensive line for sure jeff
0: stoutland uh, best easily, offensive line coach easily, in the NFL. Easily, he was easily. great
1: for us and gave us some monsters. And by the way, Stalin's a guy all about body types on the offensive line. I mean, even the guys that didn't make it necessarily like a Malcolm bunch or Jermaine
0: Johnson, those guys were huge. So I think you're going to see some of Can that. You Look with- at the body types he has with the Eagles right now. And I know he's very involved in the guys that they draft over there too, which is rare. Uh, the position coaches in the NFL don't really get much of a say, uh, but I know that they respect his opinion very, very heavily over there.
1: Yeah, so uh, he was awesome here, and I think Cristobal's doing some of that too with just the body types. We have mentioned Tinelau, Kinsler, on top of the highly rated guys that we're getting on that, on that side. Uh, defensive line, I like Kuligowski, just what he did. You're saying shaking your head. What do you got there? Clint Hurt. Okay, so Clint Hurt went on to be he's the defense coordinator for the Seattle
0: Seahawks. But he wasn't that good when he was here. But but we're I mean I'm talking about how guys have have gone on and developed in their careers too. The I I mean listen maybe it was something here that was holding him back. I don't know. Yeah, I remember Kalias Campbell went from
1: the first pick of the draft to, you know, second rounder scr- uh, scrub year to year. I I I was the biggest Clint Hurt hater when he was here, um, but I you know respect. That's what the guys are pros. He's, deep, he's, deep he's deep doing his deep. thing now. He certainly did. I go cool though, just from what he did turning the uh, a terrible defensive line, changing the mentality immediately. Definitely, this, it
0: was there were rough times there on the D line when he came in and, and flipped it around. And we need some
1: of that. Um, on a lot of with a lot of position groups that shift in mindset uh we need to see that i think uh with multiple positions uh linebacker i don't know who do you got a linebacker that's a tricky one
0: i mean manny diaz i, I mean listen i, I take, think I he take, said i think he said up until this current staff i would probably take charlie strong yeah you know you're right I mean, and manny i can't go with him because the recruiting was so bad at the end
1: that it really just kind of I, I, I
0: would say i would say i would say uh yeah that's Coach a good strong. one and then, assistant uh, linebacker coach, uh, Mike Zuckerman.
1: That's it. Oh, hands down, hands down. Our boy Zuck, uh, safety. I would say, I would say Banda, you know, based on the way the safety's performed and the guys, he, you know, he was recruiting something that didn't pan out. This but is such a, this guys. is
0: such a great question. I love it. I love you.
1: it. But I'll go Banda, man. Yeah. Banda had those safeties good overnight. He got Raysh- Rayshon Jenkins into the pros where he's still a starter. Got Jamal Carter playing at a level that allowed him to go to the pros. You know, uh, all, uh Jaquan and Redwine were awesome with him uh and there was a lot big drop off when he left when he left you noticed a drop off right away so uh, i would go with banda he got camp kitchens too yeah so i mean he yeah. got all these guys um i think he was the first guy to offer camp kitchens i don't know if he brought him in and then defensive back coach you gotta go with the crime dog gotta go with the Easily. crime dog Easily. went to the nfl been around everywhere west mcgriff so uh yeah, yeah I, I got I like the special way. teams coach oh like, give me a penunzio oh hands down no penunzio with the eagles now uh that she Shannon was with bama for a, for a while too shannon had a hell of a staff a hell of a staff the problem was the cohesion and the fact that he was not the best head coach maybe these are some of the problems we're seeing now you know these are not bad individual coaches right. that we're dealing with these are guys that are gonna that have had great jobs and will have great jobs in the future kind of like those that shannon staff a great question tad football man got me thinking here all right uh God,
0: there were some bad coaches those years too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Pia, You asked me. You asked me this one here because I don't know if you're allowed to answer it. With seemingly all of the attention on Gaddis, it feels like steel has gotten away, has gotten a pass for many. Excuse me. Can we expect changes to the defense side of, of the staff? That's from Gables Canes. Uh, yes
1: there will definitely be changes on the defensive side of the ball just because of the issues we've talked about with cohesion. I really don't know on Steele. I haven't heard that yet. You know, staff stuff we learned last year, these guys move in silence. It's hard to say. But I would be shocked if you saw Steele and Adai back just because that back end was such a mess this year. Uh, so I don't think I, both of them will not be back, I don't believe. and I, Maybe they're both will be gone. I don't know. These guys move in silence, but I ex- certainly expect changes on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think this is a situation where you change the offensive coordinator and think it's all good. And I've heard things to that effect to expect more than just something like that. Uh, kind of the same question here from Kane's Rule 230. Has there been any discussion to changing our offensive scheme next year? Um, or are we going to run the same similar scheme if Gaddis is here or not? Goes to th- what we just said. Cristobal said. There are systems that we are looking at that worked very well in other places and did not work as right. well here. Only one way to read that. Especially when he's talked about when they asked him about Gaddis during the season, he would say, yeah, "You know, this worked really, really well in Michigan. The scheme is good." Now, now he's saying it worked well other places, didn't work well here. Read between the lines on that one. I mean, personally, I, when I talk to people around the program, I've been saying this for for weeks. It does not sound like Gaddis is back. I would be shocked, both just from a logical standpoint. And from what I'm hearing, and what I'm reading between the lines, so yeah, I, I uh, there's certainly discussion of changing the scheme. Um, all right, here's my boy Happy's lookout, JP. Any thoughts on Mario meeting up with McDaniel's on offensive philosophy? meaning Coach McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, that's a question for me. What do yeah? What do you think about
0: that? Well, I I mean, listen, you see Spo and and Coach O. I mean, that's that's what Spoh. That's where he gets all his, you know. His wisdom from his coach O when they when they meet in the off season. So um I'm sure there can be something similar done there.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, they're different philosophies on in the running game. You know, Crystal is all about big guys moving people out of the way. McDaniel's much more about smaller, lighter athletic offensive linemen, uh getting to the right spot and being mobile and, and being in the right place and reaching reaching defenders in a way that maybe bigger guys can't, you know, Christopher wants to push you out of the way. Uh, McDaniel wants to cover you up in the running game. Uh, but certainly th- there's a lot of a lot of things each, you know, I don't say each side can learn from each yeah. other, but certainly Christopher can learn from from McDaniel. Um, and one other thing, you know, I want to mention McDaniel, because lo- I'm a Dolphins fan too. I love McDaniel. I think he's great. But the thing you don't talk about when it comes to McDaniel's success this year as much, new left
0: tackle, new center.
1: And then, of course, everybody they knows. I got a nice
0: left guard right now, too. Rob Jones holding yeah, the title, right. man. And then,
1: and then, of course, you know, everybody knows Tyreek Hill. So, yes, the offensive scheme change made a big difference. But let's not think it's the same offense that was there last year. The upgraded receiver was revolutionary. You know, I mean, it's like... You, you could not have more of a game changer added. Well,
0: and then they added the right pieces like a Sherfield and 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 a craycraft who fit what they're what they're doing in the system.
1: Right, and those are more scheme guys. But you know, Terron Armstead, I mean, talk about big ticket item. So, yes, part of it is changing the scheme, but it's also fixing those positions. And those two positions happen to be positions that Miami needs help in. Miami needs their Tyree kill. All right. Miami needs their Teron Armstead. Um so that's uh, my name's there Connor Williams at center I think center
0: you know I know Ja'Kai Clark played a lot of games and he can do some good things but, I think that, my- but see but that right there n- not a lot of people realize when the Dolphins signed him that they were going to play him at center maybe there's guys in the portal right now who are playing certain spots or playing certain roles that they're not being maximized in the spot that they're at right now that's where Mario I think is going to have to get creative in this, in this whole thing
1: Yeah, and really, we've always said, at least I've always said, I think you agree, the best center on the roster was DJ Scaife. So part of it is getting bigger across the board so that you can move guys around like that. Correct. And Connor Liu, the center who's not talked about a lot from Georgia, signed in this class, they think he is a prime-time player. Georgia wanted this guy. The Georgia Bulldogs wanted him badly. His dad's a Canes fan. We were able to get him down here. This is a guy that's a wrestler. He's played offense, scored touchdowns, yeah. 16 years old, lean body type, not as big as he will be, but tall. That's the that's what Cole Strange, who won in the first round, that's his body type. Connor Williams, too. Yeah. Very similar body types and athleticism. Um, I love Connor Lou. I think he's a guy that could be uh something special there at the at the center position. But uh interesting questions here today. Let's see what else we got. This one's for you, Pete. This from my man Steve O, 365 Kane's Football. i for all your breakdowns. What is the craziest signing day
0: surprise that you have covered? Well, that's it's tough to say off the top of my head right now, just like an actual like get to a ceremony and there's a surprise. But the thing with that is like the 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 air and you can feel it in the building. So it's like at least the ones that I covered, there wasn't one that was just like so shocking. But I guess like a weird kind of recruiting story I would say with a a surprise would be just the whole Anthony McFarlane recruitment with Miami. Because I remember Miami being very, very confident they were going to land him. I guess it was still like in the early stages of the crystal balls and all that. But Miami for a long time was the heavy, heavy favorite. I don't remember him... Maybe he visited one time on an unofficial. It was a very low key visit. Didn't hear much about him and he didn't do many interviews. But Miami the entire time was just really, really confident. They were like sure of it. And then he announced he was gonna he was gonna I guess do his announcement on Snapchat, I think, on like a Bleacher report Snapchat. And this was still kinda in the Earlier stages of these social media stunts, right? We're so numb to it now that I just remember that thing being pre-recorded, and it was like things went radio silent on Miami's end when I was asking about it. It was like, because I remember kind of pressing them about it too. When I say them, the people I would talk to, you know, on the recruiting side, is like, dude, why are why are we so confident in the McFarland situation? And it was always like, no, I just feel great about it, like locked in, locked in. And it was just like from one day to the next, he announced he was going to do this whole Snapchat thing. And it was like watching. It was the worst watching that Like 30 minutes, right? Yeah. And everyone and like you knew where it was going. And it was like the worst. It was like the most anticipated, but. Not anticipated at the same. It was very weird the that whole video.
1: Yeah, I remember someone saying that like, "Why am I watching Whoopi Goldberg drive around for thirty minutes or something like that?" Uh, when that happened, uh, but he ended up getting drafted. Actually, I saw him
0: with this. I mean, he was with the Steelers. I don't know if he's still there, but I've I've seen him get some carries. So
1: yeah, speaking of really kind of actually a very similar player uh was Anton Smith. From Pahokee mm-hmm. back in the day, I remember I watched with him.
0: with the with the flip the the flip flops, right? Yeah,
1: we did the FSU flip flops yeah. the Miami flip flops. So someone was there was a lot of flip flop analysis with him uh, in terms of his shoes. And I remember uh, I saw him in I saw him in the state championship game. I went to the game. He played great, um, and everybody thought it was in Miami. And then at the last second, boom! Florida State. There were rumors that he got in a fight with Averis Gooden on his visit, but that was kind of like the beginning of the end of of Miami's signing days because yeah. Miami, even though the 2002 2003 2004 classes weren't very good they did win a lot of battles um but when that one started it 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 started getting uh it started getting ugly and it stopped being it stopped being as fun right on signing day with uh with Anton Smith so uh so that's the one I would go with and the other question from Steve Oach is you know do you think we could top at this signing period I think yeah man again Skinner Citizen those were guys that we didn't even have relationships with you already saw with these guys will fight to the last minute. And part of their style, meaning Cristobal and the staff, is to wait in the weeds a little bit and then pounce. So I think you're going to see some of that on signing day. Because they think, you know, really all that matters is who's the last one standing. So winning a week before doesn't help. Winning when they sign is what matters.
0: Which is where Mario makes his mark. He's the most relentless guy there is on the trail. And, you know, that's, that's where I expect him to win.
1: Yes, sir. All right, what else we got here? All right, Twitter, the philosopher MFWF senior wants to know, repping Bahamas, there seems to always be tension between Miami and South Florida High School. What are the locals saying about Mario after going five and seven? I mean, they're saying the same thing that we're saying. You know, it's like people are like, like Chris Johnson was like, you know, basically said the team was sorry this year. Ennis said the team was sorry. We were like, well, let's go. What are you saying? What do you hear in your tailgates and your sections? That's what they're hearing from their family. I mean, why are they divas for saying what everybody else sees and says? But that's what they're saying.
0: I mean, listen, I will say that there's there's still more of a credibility with Mario as well than some of the other guys that came in, right? I mean, a lot of South Florida kids had no idea who Al, Al Golden was when he came in. Rick had some credibility. Um, but we saw that it was there wasn't as much panic. It took a few years when things got really, really bad with Ricked, right for people to really start panicking, I I believe. And there was not that wiggle room that that honeymoon period with a golden as much everyone was, you know, the fan base was excited, but it all starts with the high school coaches to me, right? Because they're the connection. And if, and from the sense that I have again I've said it time and time again I'm not as connected on that scene as I once was but it doesn't seem like the high school coaches are you know jumping off the the Mario uh ship just yet right so because he has that credibility with them down here they're not just going to jump at the first you know sign of of you know a bad bad run here so
1: yeah, no, that's a good point, and I I think they will get some local signees. But again, I ask you guys to put yourself in the shoes of these kids. They're fans. These guys are fans like us. They're seeing the same thing
0: we're seeing. It's and the- they see situations elsewhere that are you know appealing to what they're looking for. So there's a lot of good options out there. That's that is what it boils down to. Because again there's so much parity in college football these days. And it's so spread out that there's schools that you would never have thought Miami should be competing against recruiting wise are going to have good things to offer at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, people are asking me, well, we're going national now. You were always a South Florida homer. Why are you down with us going national now? The difference is you can pay players now. So (laughs) that's changed. You know, usually when you go national, you're losing to the bag man every time in the past. Now NIL, it's legal. Miami is competing there in a way that hadn't before, and you have the best recruiter in the country in Cristobal. So you're now able to go after top guys as opposed to really the the poor level of out of state player that Miami got through the last 15 years because as disappointing as some of the South Florida players were the out-of state players you can look at the numbers, look at the signing classes were way worse. Now you're able to get guys that are high level and that changes the, the evaluation and, and how you how you uh, allocate your resources. you got more to allocate. Um, and the advantage of those out- of-state guys, it's not that they have more heart People are like, oh these out- of state guys have all the heart. look South Florida teams destroyed every single team this preseason when the, they played Texas, you know California, Georgia, South Florida teams ran the table. Those kids look plenty tough winning those games. Right. But I would say one thing that is different see, the handler situation is different. Um, and I would say the national kids don't live and die with Miami every weekend with people bad mouthing and stuff like that. They just say, okay, let's look at, I love my visit. I had fun. Coaches sound like they know what they're talking about. I mean, they don't
0: hear this and they don't, and they don't see it as right. much. Right.
1: So, so that gives us, that makes them easier to recruit yeah. when you have the budget. And you have a recruiter like Mario that's the best in the country. So all those things together allow us to recruit nationally, which Miami's best teams have had national profiles along with the local stuff. So that is going to be taken care of. Now, we'll talk about all this stuff more in the bank. You still got to take care of business locally. You can't let these heritage kids leave every year. You know, you can't let these central studs leave every year. You got to start winning some of these battles. And uh, that's what the next few weeks are for. Now it's time for Mario to be the best coach in the country.
0: When we come back, we'll finish up with the bank. I know uh, everyone's excited about that one.
1: All right. We are about to take a trip to the bank. But if you're looking for some extra Christmas money, go to Underdog Fantasy, promo code CIS, or use the link on CanesInsight.com. You get a $100 match on your deposit and go right to playing games, all kinds of opportunities to win money, whether it's daily fantasy drafting, pick them, uh, all kinds of options in every single sport, and they're all rolling right now, whether it's soccer, uh, UFC, NFL, basketball, this is a really unique time, with a lot of sports rolling, and college football, so real quick, I will go into this week's D-Money picks, I got James Cook, over 15 and a half rushing yards, I think he's starting to bust through, uh garrett wilson over 53 and a half receiving yards he's got a quarterback now that can actually get him the ball supreme talent uh and trevor lawrence another great talent i like him over 260.5 passing yards against the detroit lions i think he really turned the corner and is a talent you can roll with my picks you can go against me hit three in a row and you get six times the money you put in put the hundred dollar free match on the line make three picks in a row hit mine uh you're talking about 600 bucks. So a lot of opportunities on underdog fantasy, really easy to use. Great app. Sign up with promo code CIS or on the CanesInsight.com link. All right. So this has been uh, a week with a lot of action and recruiting and is only going to pick up from here. This is going to be crazy. I'm nervous because we're recording this podcast at night and I'm worried these things are going to go obsolete by the time the morning starts. Cause things are moving so fast, but, uh, know what you're getting right here is the freshest, most direct news that you will find. And, you know, last week I came on, I said something big is going to happen in the next week. What happened? Uh, Collins Acciopong, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, originally from Ghana, moved to California, Michigan's, probably Michigan's best commitment. He went ahead and committed to the University of Miami uh, on Tuesday. Uh, This is a guy, he visited People that were here compared him to Greg Rousseau, uh, both in terms of his dimensions—six-seven, seven-foot wingspan, ten-inch hands—and then also the change of direction. This is a guy that has a four-two shuttle verified. Um, thicker than Rousseau out of high school, he's already in the two-fifty range. Just a big-bodied frame, a double-double guy in basketball, but really thrives on the football field. Only played three games because he tore his meniscus, but in those three games, he was getting a couple sacks per, really disrupting. Uh, deflecting balls uh, just being very very productive along with his supreme physical gifts so he's someone that Michigan hated to lose Miami very happy to get remember Michigan had two of the best defensive linemen in the country last year with Aiden Hutchinson um, and David Ayobo uh, so you're talking about a, a place that knows defensive ends Miami's able to go in there and grab their best defensive and commit uh, somebody that's really really going to help the class so I went back to to my sources. I said, "Is you know, was this the big commit you guys were talking about? And they said, yeah, we knew this was coming within the week. That's why we gave you that week timeline. But there is a lot more to come. So what kind of things are coming? Uh, I think really in the immediate short term, you are looking at two guys that I, I would keep a close eye on. Josh Horton, UNC commit. We've been talking about on the podcast for several weeks weeks now. Watch his his highlight reel, senior highlight reel on canesinsight.com. The guy is unbelievable. A lot of people in Georgia think he is the most underrated player in the country. Uh, just look at the Georgia boards and how they're talking about him. Every time someone goes to see this team play, they say, who is this guy? Because he's dominating over 100 tackles this year. Great body type, 6'4", 290. Grew a lot as a senior, which is why he may be a little underrated. Uh, Georgia showing late interest, UNC commit. I expect Miami to flip him. Uh, Another flip candidate from the Big Ten, I would say Conrad Hussey, the safety from St. Thomas Aquinas, also having an excellent year, former running back on the youth level, uh, 10-9, verified 100-meter guy, somebody that uh, brings versatility to the secondaries from St. Thomas Aquinas. Again, a Penn State commit to Manny Diaz. This guy can play in the nickel. He could be your safety. Uh, he's a ball hawk, had some great picks this year, took him to a couple to the house. Also, a great kicker turn who can take those to the house with that 10 9 speed and that running back background. Um, you know, Miami can use him again, lined up in the slot like a DeCorey couch, but also lined up deep like a can of kitchens. He has that versatility. Uh, they've been working him for a while, hasn't always been as receptive, but things are starting to pick up lately with Conrad Hussey. I would keep my eye on him as a potential flip. One more name to throw at you, similar to the two I just provided. And now Etta, Michigan commit, originally from Ghana, now in Texas. He is someone that is very, very close with Collins. They were basically committed together to Michigan. Now Miami's pushing him hard for a visit. He can take a visit to Miami. I wouldn't say he's as as far along as some of the other guys we've been talking about, but you put him on campus. Again, this guy's originally from Ghana. He sees what this looks like in the winter. His friend is here. Miami just came off a season where they were very productive on the defensive line, if nowhere else. He's someone that you could potentially flip from Michigan and and add to a defensive line room that always needs talent. This is a guy's, you know, Got the body type, 6'4", 260, basketball player, but a thicker guy, more of a defensive tackle than Collins. Uh, Top 100 player, liked by Joby, somebody that Miami would love to add to this class and will recruit hard. You want to stack on that defensive line, and you want to stack body types. When you look at the college football playoff, what separates the halves from the have-nots, in my opinion, body types on the defensive line. You could get by with a Cade McNamara and still get to the playoff, or a Stetson Bennett. But if you don't have those big bodies on the defensive line, you are going nowhere. So Miami's looking to stack that position. And I think focusing on players of African descent, um, I think is a very smart move because, you know, it's the same thing with recruiting multiple players of, of, of Polynesian descent. Uh, you build a, a core, there becomes a comfort level, and uh, you know, the weather does not hurt uh, in Miami. So it's a, it's interesting approach. It's different than just... Protecting the state of Miami. We're talking about going international, but I like that approach um, and watch for those names. The biggest flip candidate that everybody's talking about, Brandon Innes, Ohio State. You know, I still think the season on the field hurt with him quite a bit, but Miami's not going to give up there. I know Miami has made it very clear and has put in a lot of detailed work to ensure that they will have the best NIL deal available for Brandon Innes, something that is hard to ignore and it should be noted that brian hartline who recruited brandon in his to ohio state and has become the wide receiver guru up there with all the great players they've had at that position recently he's interviewing at cincinnati so brandon has got to see that and say how long is this guy really going to be in ohio state is he going to really be the guy that coaches me something he needs to consider um might be just going to work that till the end i i I don't, I'm not saying, but you know, he's going to flip tomorrow. But Miami is working extremely hard on Brandon Innes because they know he is a culture changer. The way he plays the game is what Miami needs in that room. Running back uh, changes every week, so I'm not going to try to predict. You know, when I talked to my people last week, they said they feel good about Chris Johnson from Dillard. He had just visited that Sunday with his teammates and was giving good vibes. Then he goes and does an interview and says, you know, I'm not feeling Miami. They're losing too much. So it's hard to read. Um, but certainly they're working there and, and there's names in the mix. Uh, linebacker Stanquan Clark, again, the focus there. And I think Miami's going to have a good shot. One thing with Reuben Bain and Stanquan Clark, both were recruited heavily by Auburn. Their lead recruiter was just fired by Hugh Freeze. That's something to keep an eye on going forward. Um, when you talk about... The secondary, I think the number one target there is going to be Jakeem Jackson from Florida. They're working other angles, but Jakeem Jackson is the guy they would love, love, love to add with his size, with his 10.9 speed. He is very, very high on the priority list. Um, safety. They are further along with Derek Williams than I think people think. Derek Williams, the five-star safety, maybe a linebacker down the road from Louisiana That's not something where they just want to get them on campus and see where it goes. There's progress there. The Texas commit. And I think if you ask me which stars are most likely to be in this class, I'm going to say Samson Okunlula uh, from Brockton, Massachusetts and then Derek Williams. Subject to change but those are two guys that Miami is working very, very hard on and I think are advanced with. They're not in the class. They're not committed. They're not silent commits as far as I understand. But there's been significant progress made uh, with both of those elite talents um, for Miami. Um, otherwise, you know you'll see new names on the board. You'll see them continue to work guys like Xavier McCloud out of South Carolina, uh, someone they're very interested in. But I don't think you're going to see names just emerge out of nowhere necessarily. But Miami will keep working and keep trying to land their priority targets. Which are the names that we've discussed? Um, But it's going to be an exciting time. You know, transfer portal is a big topic. If I'm talking about the transfer portal, um, keep an eye on the SEC. Now, one thing when you're talking about the transfer portal, Miami's not talking to these guys. Miami doesn't know what's happening with guys that aren't in the portal. But when you talk to people that are in the agent world, in the kind of the coaching world, the intermediaries, so to speak, you hear about names and. I would keep a very, very close eye on the SEC. Could premier offensive players from the SEC jump in the portal? If they do, Miami's going to be very interested. Beyond that, uh, it's a buyer's market uh, for for wide receivers, which Miami needs. A lot of big names in the portal. Uh, you know, the, Dominic Lovett from Missouri. I know Miami would love to add him. But keep an eye on the SEC in general. I think that's where I would watch when it comes to the transfer portal going forward. One thing to keep in mind with the transfer portal, nobody's job is safe. They're going for primetime players at every position, and they're going to stop at nothing to improve the talent level of this team. I wouldn't consider anybody a lock as a starter coming back next year. Um, Positions I'd expect a player running back, two wide receivers, offensive line, You know that class is going to have a big impact on who they take in the portal, but that could be something... um, definitely linebacker they like to add a big time all-conference type talent at linebacker some have already reached out to intermediaries uh who could be very very interesting to canes fans and names that you have not seen on the message board um probably one safety and one corner but these are things that are subject to change overall i continue to expect 35 newcomers that would be my number when you add up all the transfers and all the all the commits and how many are from each category will depend on who becomes available and who's interested in miami Uh, But it's going to be an exciting month. Stay tuned on Canes Insight. Refresh, refresh, refresh. We're on social media, canes.insight at Instagram. Go ahead and follow us there. Twitter, Canes Insight. Uh, TikTok, Canes Insight. Facebook. You'll follow us, man. You're going to get content coming from all angles uh, everywhere you look from Canes Insight. And then like and subscribe to this YouTube show. All right. For Pete, the whole team, go, Canes.